Hey, wanna watch a movie? What movie? You know, the one about the thing that one time. What are you looking at? I'm a bitch with a gun. Get your shit! Get your shit! And get out! All my life I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy, I had to fight my uncles, I had to fight my brothers. Listen, you think because you got a badge and I got a couple of degrees, that makes a difference? Do you know what white folks call people like you and me in private? Drop the law, baby. Take the shit back. Just for a night, take the shit back. I'm so freaking pissed. The world's gonna die. I can feel it coming. Uh, who all in it? Welcome to Who All In It, a spin-off podcast of Who All Gonna Be There that explores movies through a critical race lens. I'm Mel. As you already know, I have 13 jobs, including artist and assistant professor and curator and general shit talker. None of these jobs technically make me qualified to review movies, but I'm black and I watch a lot of movies, so I think that's more than enough. Prove me wrong. I'm Ariella, and I did go to school for this, but if you know anything about predominantly white institutions, you know that doesn't mean that much. I'm an artist and a film programmer and maybe three other things, and I spend way too much time watching way too many things. <laughs> um, so first of all, I want to issue a content warning, especially to all the Black folks who are listening. Um, for this movie, we're going to be talking about Black death, violence, police violence against Black people, misogyny, misogynoir, both in this movie and this real time and in real time. Um, if you are feeling fatigued or burnt out on this stuff, which is perfectly understandable, it's cool if you need to walk away or turn this off right now. Also, uh, we welcome your feedback or shout outs or suggestions about movies um, for our reviews. Feel free to write in or drop a video recording to our email at natturnerproject0 at gmail.com, and we will play it and respond on this podcast. We certainly welcome your thoughts and opinions on the movies we review and the movies you think we should review. So today we're going to be talking about um, 2019's See You Yesterday. Um, which debuted um, on Netflix and is still available on that platform. The director was Stefan Bristol. It was produced by Spike Lee of 40 Acres and a Mule fame um, and uh, written by Frederica Bailey and Stefan Bristol. It's starring Eden Duncan Smith as Claudette Josephine Walker, CJ Walker, and Dante Critchlow as Sebastian Thomas, her best friend. I literally just got the Madame C.J. Walker reference. I'm oh, really? so slow. I'm <laughs> so slow. You're not slow. You're just tired. There's a difference. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> um, so the Wikipedia synopsis, which is as inadequate as usual, um, describes this movie as follows. The film follows the story of an ambitious science prodigy who uses her prowess and capabilities to create time machines in order to save her brother who has been killed by a policeman. 
As she tries to alter the events of the past, she will eventually face the perilous consequences of time travel. Who writes these things? They always suck. Like man. Police man. Yeah. Whatevs. All right. So, um, we open um on this film to a grainy, time-stamped black and white video footage. Um, of two nerdy teenagers um, in a back alley with bulky backpacks on June 27th, 2019 at 4.26 p.m. Um, CJ, the main character, narrates that they are doing something called a temporal relocation test number 103. She explains the contents of the backpack using words like concentration of protons, wormholes, and molecular structures, and there are digital time markers, science, timey-wimey stuff, yada yada, and she explains that they will be going back to the same time yesterday. She presses some buttons on what looks like a phone rigged up to her wrist, um, and they slip on their goggles and prepare to launch. Um, they... Test number 103 then kind of sputters out. It's a failure, and the machines self-destruct and catch on fire. Uh, then we hear Don Penn's You Don't Love Me um, uh, as we seg into an intro shot of Bronx High School of Science and a classroom where CJ is reading Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. Her sidekick, Sebastian, is reading the comic series Black, with some of his friends in the back, and her teacher, whose face is obscured, is reading Octavia Butler's Kindred. Um, he puts the book down to shush the kids, uh, revealing himself to be none other than, wait for it, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Can I first say that I went to Bronx Science? Wait, and what? Shot, and it was shot at Bronx Science? Are you fucking kidding me? No. Oh my god, Ariel, I had no idea. Oh my god. <laughs> so this deaded me because it's actually shot in the school. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, oh they took out the they took out the metal detectors when they were shooting. The oh, <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Okay. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I was dead though. I love that they went to Brock Science though, and they and like um, it's all shot in the area that the school like they shot it at the school and they shot it on the surrounding area because like the or I mean I don't know where they shot the rest of the movie. Yeah, it, I mean it looks like they shot it in Brooklyn, but like when they're coming out of the school and like going to the train station, like that's the train station. Oh wow! Like there used to be like a little newspaper stand there that would sell a cigarette cigarettes out of the back of it yeah yeah i mean i will say that's one thing that stuck out to me in this movie and i wanted to get your thoughts on that like because i'm always conscious of like a movie that tries to place um the like the place in front and center like that like whether it's being navel gazy or whether it is actually kind of like displaying a reverence or a deference to the people in that neighborhood. Um, and I was wondering what you thought about that and how it like portrayed Brooklyn and East Flatbush. I feel like, I mean, like, I don't, 
I didn't grow up in Brooklyn, so I feel like I can't really speak to it. Mm-hmm. But I did like how Bronx Science, how they went to Bronx Science as a part of it, because like the thing about specialized high schools in New York is that like is that they're free mm-hmm. and so you can test into them. So even though I mean like standardized testing is everything that standardized testing is, but for myself, like it allowed me as somebody who couldn't afford to pay to go to a private high school to like still get a pretty decent education yeah um and I knew a lot of kids that that was the same case for that or it was the same case for them that like it was like kids who were really smart but whose families didn't have the money and were able to attend this high school for free um so I felt like that being a piece of it it just felt like really that part felt true to like you know, being like a smart black kid in New York. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so I enjoyed that. I thought it was cute. Okay. Uh, and I did like all of the Brooklyn shots. I was like, oh, is this like this is these are this is the part that I like about Spike Lee films. Yeah. You know, it's just like loving on black people and like I mean, to the extent that he actually does that. Um No comment. <laughs> No comment. He loves black men. He loves black men. I'll give him He does love black men. And like... (laughs) (laughs) And he does a nice street shot. He does a nice like... He does. He does. Yeah, he he builds a nice mise-en-scene. Like, I'm not mad at it. Um, Look at you, mise-en-scene. Fancy mm -hmm. film words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That when they introduced like Flatbush, just like all the different, all the different black people, like... I was um, into it. And not just black people, like, it. I think it did a good job in portraying, like, the different kinds of, like, blackness within the diaspora, as well as, like, different, like, ethnicities, like, Puerto Rican, and, like, yeah, just, that was pretty cool. I like that. Guyanese. Guyanese. Had the flag and everything. Yes, I was hyped. <laughs> Alright, so we gotta talk about this Michael J. Fox cameo. Like, first of all, I, as someone who loves, 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 loves the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, I was hyped when I saw him. Um, and then I was, you know, you know, it, it but it always kind of makes me a little sad when I see him because, you know, he's dealing with Parkinson's mm-hmm. and, but like, I thought it was a cute little nod but I know people who thought that that whole sequence of like the things they were reading and then plopping Michael J. Fox in the middle of that was a little too like heavy handed. Like, what did you think? Well, I haven't, I mean, full disclosure is that I haven't seen any of the back to future, back to the future movies. Mm -hmm. I really only know that they're about time travel Mm -hmm. and white people. (laughs) (laughs) There are, there are black people in the movie. Well, I I wouldn't know that because I haven't seen them. I mean, it's not done well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm like, I'll be wrong. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I like Michael J. Fox. Like, I always thought that he was cute when I was younger. So that's the that's the extent of the feeling that I have about it. Like, I didn't realize the. I actually, like, didn't realize that there was a connection the first time I watched the movie. Oh. I was just like, oh, wow, that's Michael J. Fox. I, like, no, it was, like, completely over my head. So it wasn't heavy-handed enough. Maybe he needs to be wearing, like, a T-shirt, too. (laughs) 
What did you think of him reading Octavia Butler's Kindred? I don't know. I I I definitely had a I had a black feeling about it. <laughs> I was very confused. I like honestly I don't think that white men should read Kindred. I don't think that they're allowed to. Wait, is that wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, know. I mean I guess that they're allowed to. Like I don't make rules, but I really don't care what they think or if it happens. Like, I mean, technically it is partly about her white um, plantation owner ancestor so white people feature prominently in the story I, I I agree with you I like think that I think that the way I like I guess let me be more specific like I'm completely uninterested in being privy to any kind of like processing mm. or like expression of opinion mm-hmm. that white people have about that book that's, I just don't that's care fair. I guess they can read it in their own time if they want to, and they can talk about it with other people, but I would just prefer that it happen outside of my earshot. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Because I just, like, but I also, like, I liked that there was a reference to Kindred in there. Yeah. Because, obviously. I mean, I feel like there should, like, any movie that talks about time travel... Um, and as has any hint of blackness should automatically have some reference to Octavia in there, <laughs> but that's just absolutely. Me. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I absolutely agree with that 100%, which is why I was happy that it was there. Yeah. And like, I was, I, I thought that it was cool that they do the like triangu- triangulation of like these different source materials. Like yes. you have like, hard science and you have like black science fiction and, and the, comic, have, the comic, the comic series. Yeah. yeah. And I was curious to hear more about that comic book series because I don't actually know that much about it. Um, it uh, let me. I believe the, the black comic series is also about police pr- brutality, and it's about a mm. black um, teenager who gets superpowers. Mm. Um, so, um, and I think it was done. I want to say four or five. It was started four or five years ago. I don't know if it's it's done its full run or if it's an ongoing comic series, but, um, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, like you said, I like I thought that it was a nice kind of, like, um, bibliography kind of thrown in there. Yeah. I thought it was cute. Um, oh, before we move forward, I guess we need to talk about our general thoughts about the film. <laughs> what did you think about it? Was 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 today your first time seeing it? No, I watched it a while ago. I watched it maybe when it first came to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was maybe like two. It was maybe it was like either a year and a half ago or two years ago, something like that. Okay. Like, or I guess no, it was a year ago because it's two, it came out in two thousand nineteen. So um, I watched it like as soon as it came to Netflix pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think it's really interesting. Like, I think that it raises a lot of really interesting questions for me. Like I definitely would recommend it to people, um, and have recommended it to people. Like, um, I think it's really well done. Yeah. Um, I think it's really beautiful. Um, I think it's a difficult film to watch, especially now. Um, like it's I different. feel like it definitely hits different now. <laughs> yeah. It hit really hard. Um, and it was really hard to watch. Like I had to watch it in two. In, I had to watch like half and then watch the other half. Oh wow! Okay. And take a break. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it just like I think it raises a lot of I think it raises a lot of like really important questions for me. You know. Yeah. 
like just like where you know like like for me in terms of like like as a film watcher and also somebody who like makes videos mm-hmm. like what my relationship is to black death and how we see or choose not to see or like um talk around images of black death you know yeah okay. but yeah I don't know it's also like it also has its funny parts too and I think the funny parts are really good it does yeah and the clothing is dope which I feel like this time around it hit a little bit different I was like everybody's outfits are so cute <laughs> um as far as my thoughts like I feel like anyone who knows me knows that if you put time travel in a movie I will watch that shit and time travel and blackness in a movie I'm gonna like it so that's kind of where I stand. Um, I I love the movie. I was charmed by it um, immediately. And I was engaged the whole time. The ending kind of fucked me up the first time I saw it when it first came out. But um, as I processed it, I realized that there could be no other ending. And I, I've grown to appreciate it. Um, and I... I really love the character of CJ, even though she is deeply flawed, and we will talk about that. Um, but I like that. I like flawed black femme characters. I think we need more of them. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I stand on that movie. So Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, as CJ talks to Mr. Lockhart, Um, the teacher played by Michael J. Fox. She's, like, stalling him um, and talking about an expo that she wants to be in um, to unveil her temporal relocation thing. And then Michael J. Fox gets into the moral implications of time travel and then utters his famous um, catchphrase from Back to the Future, Great Scott, which I'm sure freaked out a lot of, like, Back to the Future stands. Um... But while she's doing that... I completely missed that. I know, I know. I was like, what a weird thing for him to say. I think that we should do Back to the Future. Because um, there's a lot to unpack in Back to the Future. <laughs> like, all of Back to the Future 3 takes place in the Wild West. And that alone deserves its own essay. Oh, I'm not mad at that. Can we do a Back to the Future and Wild Wild... Can we do Back to the Future 3 with Wild Wild West? That'd be interesting. Okay. An unsung classic. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, while she's um, talking to Mr. Lockhart, Sebastian is in the science lab stealing a bunch of shit they need to fix their temporal re- re- relocation um, proton pack or whatever. I don't know if there's an actual name for what that thing is, but let's go with it. Um, we're not in here, we're not in this for the science, folks. So, <laughs> um, so, I haven't gone to a science high school. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> All of my references for what a wormhole is come from other science fiction shows. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, I loved how all of this, like, futuristic technology was, like, so seamlessly integrated into it. Yeah. Like, I just thought it was, I felt like that 
I really liked that, like how it was futuristic but realistic at the same time. Do you feel like the science stuff was accessible? Yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't like, like, when she fixed shit, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, that was what they needed to do. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I guess, like, it didn't feel, it felt like they made it sound real enough for me to, like, buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on their way home, they're joined by their, uh, well, really, Sebastian's friend, Eduardo, who is, like, they do that thing where he's supposed to be a nerd, um, but he's clearly a very attractive human being, so they put some, like, clunky glasses on him, and you're just supposed to believe he's a nerd. Okay, we'll go with that. That's fine. I love him. <laughs> I love his character. I loved him. He was cute. He was a cutie. He was so cute. I was like, why are you mad at him? Please go on a date with him. He is adorable. I mean, he was a little, like, overly... He was coming on a little strong. Yeah, he was coming on a little strong. Um, so he's Puerto Rican, and we know this because he mentions, um, you know, helping his abuela back home with, like, relief. Um, I thought that was a nice nod. Um, and he's clear, he clearly has a huge crush on CJ because she just looks annoyed the entire time he's there. Um, and, like, a little title card reveals that they're in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and there are a lot of cute neighborhood shots, so... So cute. Um, they stop at the mini mart for slushies. Um, Sebastian gets harassed by Jared, CJ's ex, whose new piece is there. They kiss in front of CJ, who starts hitting him as he says some gross lie about her. As he starts to retaliate, they are intercepted by CJ's brother, Calvin, who threatens to smack the shit out of him. He retreats. Calvin later berates her as he walks her home, saying that in defending her, he put himself in jeopardy because he could have been arrested and accuses her of acting like a hood rat and says she has a control problem. They start act, they start arguing and getting louder and two cops approach. The black cop gets in Calvin's face and demands ID and starts getting belligerent. A Jamaican entrepreneur <laughs> stopped selling incense. Black soap and Caribbean flags. I loved him. Yes, we're going to talk Why about him. I would like to talk about him as a narrative device. Yes. <laughs> and he starts saying, Babylon. <laughs> You're going to do the accent? I'm not going to do the accent. Okay. I can't. But I love him, and I was obsessed. Um, <laughs> the cops get another call and leave the kids alone. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's talk what? about that scene, because I feel like there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the mini-mart... Um, CJ, uh, this kid, Jared, starts harassing Sebastian, and then CJ stops, like, like, approaches them and, like, starts yelling at Jared, and it's revealed that Jared is her ex. Um, and then he says some misogynistic gross shit, and she goes off and starts hitting him. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so, like, uh, when Calvin, like, stops them, I don't know, what, what did you think of this whole thing, this whole interaction? Because it was a lot. Well, like, I felt like you get a lot of information about CJ and Sebastian's relationship. Yeah. Like, I feel like even though she's dogging him in a way that, like, feels, like, natural, it's also, like, clear that she 
maybe doesn't like think about him all the way as like a person in his own like you know outside of like her relationship to him mm-hmm. um and I feel like that was kind of part of it she doesn't really like listen to him mm-hmm. um and then there's like an interesting gender dynamic happening with like the brother stepping in I feel like yeah um and that was an interesting piece to me just that like yeah that like he's so um like they make they make they give you like they give you like a lot of like really clear information about like her trajectory like as like a as like a a shining like you know science nerd and like student and like almost senior who like is like angling for a scholarship at like MIT or somewhere else like that yeah and then her brother who's out here ready to fight for her in his Dallas BBQ yeah uniform you know but and trying to stop her from like acting like a hood rat yeah but you also get this interesting kind of juxtaposition of those two characters because like yes she's the one on this amazing trajectory She's the STEM kid. She's the one headed to MIT, but she's also really hot-headed. She doesn't really think about her actions before she does things. And her brother, who is who's the one who's not going places, I guess, he's the one who's like kind of like mature and kind of like thinks things through and is basically trying to like save her from herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an interesting juxtaposition because I think it's one you don't see often, especially with black men in American cinema. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. I like that his character was just so kind of like calm and observant and just trying to diffuse the situation, you know? So that's a really good, that's a really good read of that. Yeah. And we'll get deeper into Calvin later, but, mm-hmm. um, Jared was gross and a jerk. Um, <laughs> that was interesting. And Sebastian just, like, Sebastian is just, like, so dorky. And, like, I love him so much. You know, he's just he's just the nerdy kid who's, like, kind of put upon by CJ. Mm-hmm. Like, she, it's clear that she's the one who's used to being kind of in the foreground and he's in the background kind of doing all the grunt work. And I think, again, that's also interesting to kind of see that, you know? But, yeah. So that was a cool first scene and an introduction to Calvin. Um. Yeah, I agree. Um, After that, they make their way back to Bash's house and they start setting up shop in his garage and are interrupted by his granddad, who's wearing a fresh linen suit and a matching hat. Which I love. Yes. I love that and tells him that he needs to do his chores, which I also love. (laughs) I felt that that was very triggering, by the way. <laughs> that whole scene was triggering. I was activated. I was activated. <laughs> I was like, I was watching. I was like, I was like, oh shit, do I need to get up and do the dishes? Like, <laughs> literally for kids for kids who were doing extra credit reading and got told that they were reading too much. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna launch into the story about how I got spanked because I was I was caught. I got caught reading at three in the morning when I was a kid. Whatever. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I'm not bitter. It's fine. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> no, I feel that. 
um, tells him that he has one week to finish work on his projects, but then he has to get a proper summer job. Oh. Felt that too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> With the rake while holding a rake the whole time. Yes. Holding a rake in a fresh linen suit and matching hat. Like, come on. You ain't doing no chores dressed like that. Who wrote this? <laughs> but the granddad was super cute, though. I loved him. <laughs> I loved everything. I was like, the pure amount of teeth kissing yes. was so special to me. I was really about it. Oh, I love the part when he, like, when he, like, said that Bash had to get a job, and then he, like, he walked away, and he looked back, and he was like, are you sucking your teeth? Be careful you don't get a hole in it. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite moment is a little later on when CJ goes home, Uh and, like, she sucks her teeth at her brother, because he's, like, making a face at her behind her mom, and her mom looks at her, and she's just like, (laughs) and she's like, not not you, mom, not you. (laughs) That was cool. I was like, uh, I have definitely had that experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can relate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start working on fixing the problem with their proton packs, complete with a holographic interface that will make Iron Man sit up and take notice. That was and- a super advanced holographic, like, little montage or whatever. Like, I loved it. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, this is, I was like, okay, post-production. Yeah. I was like, like, come through. like, this is where all the money went, isn't it? I see, I see that. <laughs> and the wardrobe. <laughs> it looked really good. It did. It looked really good. Um, and figure out that it's the tubing that's causing the problem. They're interrupted by some kids who are there to pick up a repaired laptop. It appears they have a side hustle fixing tech and selling under the table tech. Yeah. That was um, cute. I love that. Yeah. I also was like, I thought it was hilarious that like, they, that it's like clearly like some like alternative, like futuristic version of our present day. Mm-hmm. But the laptop that she returns is yes! like, like the old blue like laptop. It was the one from like 2000. Like the, that weird Mac yes, when Mac like the, decided they were going to go futuristic. Yes. I was like, of course. I was like, I don't even think that this is unbelievable. <laughs> that somebody that, that, that she would, that she would be fixing up somebody's laptop so that it could run like a 2015 in 2019. Yes. <laughs> that was pretty cool. No, I'm mad at that. Yeah. I like that. Um, I also wondered how many people were watching who had no idea what the fuck that laptop was. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but now I'm thinking about it. Sorry. And I'm having a feeling. It's fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Calvin and CJ's mom are watching TV news about the slaying of a 17-year-old Francis Pierre by police. And CJ enters and is told it's her night to do the dishes. As she's doing the dishes, Calvin approaches and helps her, and then attempts to apologize for their disagreement earlier, saying he wasn't trying to say she couldn't handle herself, or, quote, come off all misogyny. (laughs) And she corrects his grammar. And he continues to tell her that she has to learn how to control her temper. Um, They have a tender moment as Calvin tells her that he has to watch over her because she's going places. 
And she asks for dad for their dad's dog tags, and he says she'll only get them over his dead body. Okay, so this part I had like I had some thoughts and some feelings because like I thought Calvin yes Calvin was being really sweet, but I'm also really sensitive about the optics of any man telling a woman how she needs to behave and like telling her that she has no right to display anger or like emotion like that that really bugs me um i don't know what did you think about that i agree with that like i think that he's trying and i think that's really sweet i also think that like to me it's like evidence of like them both like i think that a lot of what this movie evidenced for me was like the different ways in which trauma affects people like lived in community trauma because mm-hmm. like to me the way that she's acting is like it's a trauma response yeah you know yeah like she engages in like you know like this is like clear-cut black and white thinking like you're either with me or you're against me like having really big reactions to things that she doesn't necessarily need to have the biggest reactions to yeah and like he's having his own kinds of trauma responses and they're both just trying to like struggle it out and like absolutely patriarchy's coming into that like mm-hmm. you know um educational privilege is absolutely like coming into coming into that like it's like all of these things are kind of like creating all of these things are like coming are like intersecting with each other while they're like both just like trying to like do their best to like love each other as they like exist in relationship to each other in this like shitty world you know yeah like I feel like that was what I saw with that and I was just like fuck you know like there's like literally no way for them to like there's like you know yeah yeah like there are like multiple ways through and like all of the ways through are like fucked in their own ways you know it just it's it's another one of those things where like the love just happens in spite of all the bullshit you know yeah absolutely yeah but it's so hard always and so wrought yeah i also it also makes me think of like how different i was as a little girl like i was very expressive and emotional and i had a temper and all these things and as i grew older and i became a black woman living in this world all of that was kind of beaten out of me in its mm-hmm. own, in in a very specific way and how different I am as an adult and how stoic I've been forced to become and it just makes me very sad so you know yeah yeah no I feel you I like yeah I feel similarly (laughs) yeah although I feel like I still struggle with like (laughs) having really I know but that's one of the things I love about you though I used to be way angrier. Really? You're, yes. pretty, you're pretty angry still. I am, which I feel like is, you know, lucky for me and everybody else, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I don't know. I, I also liked, I liked like the little ways that they're able to like build detail into into it like everything like every part of the story is really rich like I was I thought it was interesting like 
that they choose somebody's name for the people who are protesting for Francis Pierre, which to me seems like a very clearly Haitian name, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like is reference to like the um, Haitian community in New York has experienced so much police brutality. Yeah. Um, and then also having their dad be a vet. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk yeah. about that a little bit too. Like the dog tags as like this mm-hmm. kind of signifier, this, um, uh, this object that's used throughout the movie, but like, what what were your thoughts on having their father be a part of the military in relation to um, exploring the, the themes of police brutality? I guess, like, I think it was interesting. I, get, I hadn't thought about it until now, but I have been giving a lot of thought to, like, I don't know, there was, like, a part of the movies are not related at all besides from the science aspect, but it was me. I was thinking a little bit about hidden figures mm-hmm. and just like what the anticipated trajectory we're supposed to imagine for like CJ and Sebastian, yeah. you know, yeah. like as like science people, like as people who are like really interested in time travel and stuff like that, like science isn't science, like not as an objective force, but mm-hmm. as something that's like very often militarized and like weaponized. Yes. Yeah, so like, what are I felt like I don't know if like the writers or the directors were like trying to do this but it just felt like there were so many different pieces where you're really shown that they're they're not that there's no way out but that like everything is fraught mm-hmm. you know like the military can be a way out but like obviously it's not a way out for him he's dead yeah. and his children who are like now facing facing all kinds of things, you know, maybe in a, like, slightly better position, it's, like, unclear as to, like, whether or not they, their class position has been improved or they've had more opportunities because of, like, him being in the military, but, yeah, you know, um, it's a job, certainly, you know, and they're not homeless, like, and, like, she's in school, so I don't know, you know, like, but, I and he died really recently right like it seems like it seems like the dad's death is really fresh yeah it does seem that way yeah um so I don't know and just like I feel like to me like when I see people who are like you know like the I like to me stem seems like the extension of it is that in some way it's going to be like involved in like statecraft work in some way right you know um, so I feel like that's a piece of it too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like she's engaged on this trajectory that's like more respectable, but that exists on like the same axis right. of like, of like being used to like further this national project that's like deeply anti-black at its core anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that you like, you'll make more money doing it. And like, you might be, you might be like occasionally safer. Sort of. Like, Sort of, you know, yeah. depending, I guess. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, to me, I, I, I feel like I, I want to feel like it's an, an intentional kind of allusion to how, like, the military is its own kind of pipeline to the same place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when you throw in, like, the, the variable of race. Like, all all things lead to white supremacy, all things lead to anti-blackness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was really interesting that they did that. Um, and it was, I thought it was really subtle and nuanced and I liked it. Um, I agree. And like, I think it's interesting to think about 
I mean, this is like a much larger conversation than like this movie or this podcast, but like, I think that the distinction, I mean, there is very obvious, like an important overlap between the military and the police, Mm -hmm. but I think there's also distinctions in terms of like how people of color participate in each institution. True. You know, like you're complicit and you're like enacting like imperialist violence like capitalist violence like in both structures but there's a way in which the cops to me seem to be like this like much more like white supremacy like overt arm of like white supremacy yeah because i just because i'm thinking about so many people of color i know and so especially so many black people that are in the military Mm -hmm. and are in the military like purely for the paycheck you know Mm -hmm. and like have a lot of misgivings about it you know what I mean? Like, I think I haven't done enough research, but I've also been like, I'm thinking about the schisms that we're seeing right now around like the National Guard yeah, being brought in to protect places and stuff like that. And like maybe being unwilling to do that work. Have you seen that one video of the Black National Guardsmen? Like, there's like a crowd of people um, yelling Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And he's like crying and silently mouthing along with them. Have you I seen did that not movie? see that, but that's amazing. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm also thinking about like all the people who like came back from Vietnam and then like joined the Panthers, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, I guess I, I guess it's like bringing up like that for me. Yeah. Too, you know? Yeah. 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 You're right. That is a much longer conversation that expands beyond talk of this movie. But I just like that it was in there and that it was broached, you know? I agree. I also I also really like that it was in there. And I like that it was broached, too, because I think it's also this, like, remind... I think the way that, like, it's invoked, too, you know? Like, <laughs> like how much fucking energy and, like, you know, like, how how Black people are, like, continually giving their lives to do things for this fucking country that fucking doesn't do anything for us. Yeah. Yeah. Be it, be it like a good investment or not, like regardless of what you think about whether or not people should be making that investment, it's happening. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. So like the fact that like the dog tags are like the dog tags are this thing Mm -hmm. that become what CJ tries to use to like save her brother. Yeah. Like, um, and it's just like, and then the dog tags themselves being instruments or signifiers of death, but then being used to try and prevent death, mm-hmm. which I think parallels one of the tactics that she takes later on. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. Um, okay, so we see a grainy timestamp video, much like the one from the beginning. Um, it says June 29th, 2019, 4.26 p.m. And this is temporal relocation test number 104. CJ narrates that they are going back exactly 24 hours ago and promises not to alter anything, which would affect the world in ways they can't imagine. Sebastian looks slightly scared. Um, And right around here is where you begin to suspect that Sebastian is the only one who has sense of these two people. (laughs) We'll get into that. So they go through a relatively lo-fi, glowy wormhole. <laughs> I feel like they could have spent some more money on that, but that's fine. Um, I and then they... It, but okay. 
<laughs> um, and then they reappear in the same spot, but with a great deal more smoke. Um, they check the time coordinates, and it appears that it has worked. They have gone back 24 hours to the day. Okay. She's like, we're not going to change anything, and then immediately starts acting crazy, like, the second they land in the past. We're going to have to talk about that. Would you like to read the, the scene synopsis of what happens next? And then yes. we're going to dedicate a good portion to how CJ got this whole time travel thing fucked up. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> then they decide to go out in the world and walk around the neighborhood. They run into a neighborhood family friend whose laptop was picked up yesterday who says she's sending someone over to pick up her laptop they then harass other neighborhood folks about what day it is one of the folks responds fuck out of my face which i mean i understand i understand <laughs> they walk into the mini mart despite bash's protest because it is a minor change she grabs a slushie and throws it in jared and his side piece <sighs> And this, this is when shift go shit goes way left, but continue. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay, okay, let's stop for a second. <laughs> let's say you and I invent a time machine. <laughs> we both watched a great deal of time travel movies and read some books, and we've done some science 20, 30 years ago, so we have a good idea of the implications. Do you feel like it would be your first instinct to go out into the world and do some shit to people? Like, what? I, I'm like, maybe when I was 17? I don't know. Okay, okay. I was really dumb. That, you know what? You are absolutely right. I was a fucking moron at 16, 17 years old. So maybe I need to cut CJ some slack. Because yeah, I was like, screaming at her the whole night. If some guy was, like, lying on me like that, I feel like I would have been hot. I feel like, yeah. I would have been like, yeah, let's burn his house down. In okay. the past. Okay. So we'll be gone in the future, too. All right. Okay, fine. Fine. All right. But I still don't think that it's a good idea. I just, I'm just, like, I was like, bitch, what are you doing? But then I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, fair enough. Okay. Like, We've all. <laughs> That's true. I was very stupid at 16 and 17. Yeah, like, I just ridiculously dumb, dumb. Yeah, good thing that I wasn't smart enough to invent time travel. Phew. Okay, alright. <laughs> so, what happens after she throws the slushie on Jared? Um, as this happens, yesterday's versions of CJ and Bash walk into the mini-mart. Obviously, they knew this was going to happen. Why are they in there in the first place? Mm -hmm. Bash smartly pulls them out of the view as to not be seen by their past selves. Meanwhile, Jared is cussing out their past selves who have no idea what just happened. They start fighting as they walk out of the store, and present CJ and Bash look on as they are again interrupted by Calvin. As, Cal as Jared and Calvin separate, President CJ has the bright idea to oh my God. Okay. and throw more slushy on him. I'm so tired. She does more shit after... S okay, 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 okay. Let's just stop here. Okay. So she has already seen in action how her, her little, like, plan has already fucked shit up. Yeah. Just slightly. And decides to continue... On the same trajectory! Why? I Okay, I don't think I was that stupid. 
I'm going to rebut that. I feel like even in 1617, if I had seen that I had already started to fuck shit up, I would have stopped. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, don't think it's unrealistic, but I'm just, like, shaking my head. I'm like... <laughs> okay. All right. She's high on stupid. Yeah. Like, it's like the endorphin rush, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, continue. All right. I, I remain, I remain no, no less tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jared then chases and grabs CJ and is hit by a car. <sighs> oh, my head hurts. <laughs> I know, I was like, the fact that this was like the only part that like, bothered me I was like that's not like a casual thing like it was like a big joke like oh he just got hit by a car I was like oh so in the future they don't have medical bills so they have police brutality but not medical bills I'm confused yeah I'm not gonna lie like they're in East Flatbush but everybody has good insurance I'm right like CJ's cavalier attitude towards Jared being hit by a car made me dislike her slightly like Mm -hmm. you know yeah no totally yeah (laughs) it was like I was just like, that's not that funny, actually. No, it's not. Yeah. Like, he lied on you, but it's because he's insecure, I guess, and he's a misogynist. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I don't know. Whatever. I guess. <laughs> okay. So he gets hit by a car. He really gets hit by that car, too. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. Um, Bash then tells CJ that they have 10 minutes to get back to return to the present, which they do, completely obliterating the garage and pissing off Bash's grandmother, which is hilarious. I love, oh my god, I just, like, love Patois so much. Yeah. Like, um, well done, Patois. <laughs> yeah, oh. Shout out season two of Luke Cage. That's going to be a collaborative project between the two of us one day when we have time to get commissioned by someone to like. <laughs> that was just embarrassing, but okay, whatever. I just so bad. I was just like, what? I'm just so confused. I'm like, who are you hiring? I, there are so many Jamaican people in New York. I'm just confused. Like it's harder to find someone who's not Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so confused. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, why wouldn't you hear that accent and be like, can we find somebody who's more qualified? (laughs) This person is missing one of the major qualifications it would take to play this character. I mean, at the very least, they could have just hired a dialect coach. Yeah. At the least, you know? Yes. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> I was curious. I was like, I don't know what Guyanese. I feel like I don't. I'm not as familiar with what Guyanese patois sounds like. So I was like, I can't really speak to like whether or not their grandparents' That's accent true. is good or not. Yeah. I don't, so I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I also I also don't know specifically about the Guyanese accent. So maybe maybe that was bad too. I don't know. Um, listeners, if you have any insight into this, feel free to write in or drop a voice like audio recording or something (laughs) (laughs) um yes okay so they learn that jared is in the hospital with a broken arm and cj is like okay it's no big deal it's just a broken arm 
Bash is clearly pissed at CJ, rightfully so, and is annoyed that she doesn't seem to be taking the ramifications of their invention as seriously as him. And see, right around here is where, like, okay, I know Sebastian must really care for CJ because if it had been me and I was Sebastian, I would have been out right then. I would have been like, okay, we're done here. Yeah. I'm not doing this anymore with you. Because, mm-hmm. like, and not just not just because of what has happened, but, like, her attitude clearly displays that she does not understand how serious any of this is, is at all. Like, for real, yeah. I don't know. What did you think about it? Yeah, like, I was just, like, I was really frustrated with her. Like, I was like, obviously, you're going to fuck stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't know. I was just, like, wondering. I, I feel like the one thing that I wish that, or not the one thing, but, like, one of the things that I wish that we had more of in the movie was more of Sebastian's backstory. Yeah. Because um, to me, I was like, I wonder, like, just, like, what's up with him? Because I feel like when you put up with so much when you put up with that kind of behavior from a friend, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of times it's like, because you think that you don't deserve any better. Um, I don't know if that's like a sad read, but it's, like, I was sad. just like, I don't know. He doesn't, you know, like he lives with his grandparents for a reason. Like, are his parents dead? Like, do they still live back in Guyana? Like, what's the deal? You know, like what's the deal with him? Yeah. Um, but like, is he, you know, like, is he, like, more isolated than, it seems like his family unit is, like, more precarious than hers. True. You know? True. Um, like, he doesn't have a sibling, like, um, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, like, I was just, it feels like he's been, like, this, the sense that I got is, like, there's the implication that he's been, like, putting up with this kind of behavior from her for a while, you yeah. know, and then she just kind of, like, thinks that it's a joke. Um, yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty accurate. Um. What do you think? Um, I think that, I mean, I get the impression just from some of the stuff that even Eduardo said that they've all been friends since they were like kids. Like, Mm -hmm. so for a very long time. So I think it's, they set up these dynamics and these patterns of behavior in their friendship that Sebastian is, like, was tolerating before and was, like, okay with before, but, like, seeing the connection to how it affects, how it could potentially endanger their lives, he's starting to come to grips and realize how dangerous CJ could actually be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to... I feel like in this moment, at the, at the beginning of this kind of destructive thing that's happening, he's trying to, like, check her and extricate himself a little bit before it goes any further, but I also think that he loves her so much that he just doesn't know how to. I don't know. Yeah. And he's just, Sebastian is so sweet. I know I love him. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then we cut to Calvin and his friend at a July 4th cookout. He's playing dominoes with some old head Caribbeans, which... Do not recommend, zero out of ten, do not do this unless you want to be humiliated, okay? I know this from experience. You do not play dominoes with old heads unless you know what the fuck you're doing and you trust the person you're partnering with. If you don't, you can fuck up some relationships. That's all I'm going to say about that, okay? (laughs) 
but I digress. Anyway. Um, I agree with you. I was not allowed to play dominoes growing up because of sexism. Uh, um, so I don't know how to play dominoes, but I have witnessed the violence. Like, spades is pretty lit. I think dominoes takes it to the next level. <laughs> Domino, like, you can get hurt over dominoes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can get hurt over spades, too. But, like, dominoes, I think you can get, like, spiritually hurt as well. And that's not okay. That's not cool. Like, <laughs> why are you talking about my character right now? That's unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> so um jared is um jared is there at the cookout and he and calvin get into it and they start like arguing um verbally and it gets broken up um and calvin and his friend leave um because they don't want to deal with that <clears throat> as they are walking home two men run past them yelling out of the way soon after we see the lights of a cop car approaching them from behind and it's at this point that I start to go, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, two plainclothes officers pull up, get out of the car, and yell, NYPD, don't fucking move. Where are you two coming from? And we see that they are holding unholstered guns behind their backs as, Cal- as we close up on Calvin's face, and he looks thoroughly confused. We then fade to black. Yeah, I mean, like... I feel like I like that they fade to, faded to black, so it's like, we all know what it is, you yeah, know? Yeah, Like, nobody needs to see that, which is why I think it's interesting that they change that later on in the movie. Yeah. I want to I take this moment here to talk a little bit about the difference between black storytelling and, like, non-black storytelling or white storytelling when it comes to this particular subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I find... And I even do this myself, that when I tell stories about violence like this, I actively work at ways of moving the plot forward without centering the violence. Um, and I find that a lot of American films, who, which are predominant, like American mainstream films, which are predominantly written and shot and produced by white people, do indeed center that, that violence in such a way where it overshadows the, the people and the humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, I like the fact that they faded to black because people who know about police brutality don't need to see that shit. Mm-hmm. We don't need to relive it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that absolutely. Although I also like want to I feel like there's like there is a legacy of like black filmmaking I feel like that does sensationalize sensationalize like particular types of violence okay like I'm thinking about like you know our boy John Singleton okay I think the 90s is a particular moment in American cinema that was also backed by white film like white money Mm -hmm. so I think that may have played a part maybe I'm just kind of I don't know I know you're right. Like um, like the '90s, you you see like Boys in the Hood, Juice, Menace to Society, and it was displaying a particular kind of black cis male bravado, mm-hmm. um, which is a different conversation. 
maybe no totally yeah no I agree with you I like I think that but I do think that there's a way in which like even black filmmakers mm-hmm. like struggle with that True. conversation because there's like I feel like there's like this it's this conflict between like you know like require like em- violence as being like the requisite in order to like build empathy true true yeah no that's fair so like I feel like people may be like asking this question of themselves that like you know is it that people don't truly understand the scope of the violence and that's why they don't care Mm. um but like I do think that black filmmakers also like have like continually struggled with like how to represent violence against black people particularly against black men yeah because I feel like I wouldn't say it's so much of a struggle about representing violence against black women I feel like Maybe I'll stop there. <laughs> I, like, I mean, there is that. There is that. that. I think that they show violence against black women pretty, oh, pretty yeah, they're, easily. They're quite all right with that. Yes. Yeah, it's like not, it's not a problem. Yeah. Which is why I thought it was interesting. I liked the choice to just cut to black. Me too. Because it's like, it's a, it's a refusal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also like, it also cuts to black, like not at the moment when the cop is raising the gun. Like, the situation is clearly escalating, mm-hmm. but, like, they don't need, you don't need to, like, see what happened that, like, made the cop raise the gun or anything like that. Like, you don't even see him, I don't think you see him, like, pulling anything out of his pocket or anything like that. Like, it's just unclear. Yeah. Like, later on, you see him pulling something out of his pocket in a different, like, time iteration. But, yes. like, in this particular moment, like, you just know what's going to happen because the situation is escalating and the cops are the cops. Yeah which I also appreciated because I feel like it's this, like, you know, there, there's so many like moves to innocence that like people like try to make as if like, you know, there's a, there's a way that one could deserve to be murdered by the cops. Mm-hmm. There's a way in which it could be justified. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that that kind of work was not done. Yeah. Um, in the film. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked the choice to end that scene on a close up of his face so that you can see his face, you can see him, Calvin, and like you know what's coming, but you end it with him, yeah, as it should be. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, so then, um, we hear the the screen as as the screen is still black. We hear a police report that Calvin Walker, a nineteen year old, was shot and killed by a police officer. As the police report um, narration continues, we then see a funeral row of folks dressed in black sitting in pews as, uh, and then we see CJ crying. She tries to get up, but her mother pulls her back down to the pew and they both weep. Um, as CJ cries in her room later, her mother comes to console her and she says to CJ, I'm sorry, if I could go back and fix it, I would. And this of course sets off a light bulb for CJ. Um, CJ visits Calvin. The light bulb is not like. Uh, maybe this would have. Maybe maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That light bulb I isn't. Can also not do this. Yeah, that light bulb isn't running at a full ninety watts. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but like going to your point earlier, um, if I were sixteen or seventeen, I totally would have would have done this too. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. Fair enough. At twenty five, I probably would have. Let's be real. Yeah. So. Like, um, all right. So, um, CJ visits Calvin's gravesite with two sad little sunflowers, um, and she's wearing their father's dog tags. Sebastian joins her, and she explains how she has figured out how to improve the proton packs to give them more energy to make them faster, which will expand the amount of time they can go back from just one day to a full week. Um, and at first, Sebastian, being the sweet kid that he is, he's like, oh, it's too late. We already missed the expo. We're not going to be able to do that. And she's like, what are you talking about? I want to go back and keep Calvin uh, and save Calvin. Um, and Bash, of course, says no, because they could actually make things even worse if they do that, because his light bulb is going at a full 90 watts. <laughs> um, he talks about unforeseen consequences and then he continues to resist, and she's like, she'll do it herself. Mm-hmm. Which, very emotionally manipulative, CJ. I see you. So, <laughs> like, um, so they head back to Sebastian's garage, where there are two plates of food waiting for both of them. And Bash says Granny made it, and he talks about the flag from Guyana, the one that hangs over the garage door, and um, Guyanese culture. Um, and he says that in Guyanese culture, there's no I, there's just we. Um, and he says that he loved Calvin too. And it's a very touching scene, and I may have teared up a little bit. Um, and they make up, and then CJ says, I love you, black man. And he replies, I love you too, black woman. And then they do some weird, nerdy handshake and hug. And then I may have cried a little bit. <laughs> I cried a lot during this movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because I'm tender, but I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they figure out through the news clipping when and what time they have to go back. Also that they can only go back once a day and that they will only have 10 minutes each visit before the system begins to collapse. CJ does some sciencey shit and puts things into test tubes and centrifuges while tenor saws ring the alarm plays i think there's like a this movie also has a fantastic soundtrack it does it does it does <laughs> um bash slides some circuit boards into place they go back to oh wait isn't it okay never mind that's later um circuit boards into place and they jump back they, they, oh, they, yeah, they, they go back to 4th of July, right in the alleyway in front of the garage, confirm the day and start running. They, like, always fuck with that Jamaican dude. Who's, yes. Like, in the alley. I love him. I love Harbingers as narrative um, devices. Yes. And he was a pretty entertaining one. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> so. Very true to place. Yes. <laughs> um, they are surrounded by 
they go back to the 4th of July alleyway. Um, they're surrounded by Jared, who is still pissed about his arm and company, who were playing craps. They run past him and through the neighborhood while being chased by him. They run up right as the police are pulling up on Calvin and his friend and arrive just as the shots ring out. Bash explains they're too late and they have to go back to make it in time. Yeah, okay, so let's talk about that. So that second jump. What did you think about the second jump? I, I mean, it was like... It was, like, more evidence that they, like, need to stop going back. Yeah. First of all, they didn't really have a plan. They had no plan. They were just like, you were going to go and stop this thing. Yeah. Uh, And it was just... Yeah. And it it made me just really sad. Because at this point, I started to realize the futility of what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, And I just... I had this overwhelming sense of doom (laughs) once they failed the second time and that it was only going to get worse and worse, which it did. And we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) it makes me really sad. Mm -hmm. It's Um, like you have to go back in time all the way to, (laughs) you know, you have to go way back further in time than that. I do want to talk about that. So, like, okay. So, at this point, do you think that the murder and killing of Calvin was something that was caused by what CJ did? Or do you think it was coming anyway? I think it's coming anyway, right? Because, like, the way that... the vi- I mean, like, the violence is everywhere. Yeah. Like, if it didn't happen... I think there's, like, you know the the flaw in her thinking mm-hmm. is like not understanding that is not understanding the violence as she's understanding the violence as like situational mm-hmm. rather than systemic mm. so like or I mean and not that she maybe she she maybe like understands that but she's like really fixated yeah like and I think that that's like also like this like larger like metaphorical flaw like the idea that like if you can just do something different or if you can just tweak like one or two things or like follow like a certain path mm-hmm. that that will save you yeah. and it's not the case because you know there are a million there are a million ways to get it yeah and i think that's something the movie does well because e- there's a part of me that even kind of falls into that thought pattern like okay if cj had not thrown that slushy and gotten Jared's arm broken, then Calvin wouldn't have gotten into that fight with him at the cookout and he wouldn't have left early and he Mm -hmm. would be fine. But that is indeed ignoring all the other systematic failures that could lead to Calvin being murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, and it's, it is easy to want to believe that there's one thing that you can change to make this thing better. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of black people do that sometimes because the alternative is believing that there's nothing you can fucking do. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just. Yeah, absolutely. Like 100%. And like, I'm also thinking like, you know, if Calvin didn't leave the cookout early, like the bodega still got robbed. So like maybe the cops catch those other kids and kill them. And like, do they deserve to die any like less than Calvin deserves to die? No, they don't. You know I mean? So it's like, so it's just like it's it's gonna you know like it's everywhere and like 
yeah, I don't know. I did, I did like appreciate that about the movie too, because I think that even though, I mean, like for me, like I don't particularly like enjoy feeling hopeless, (laughs) but like the ways in which like we construct hope for ourselves, or the ways in which I feel like I would construct hope for myself, I feel like are, you know, detrimental. Mm. Is there, is there a way to construct hope that isn't? I struggle with that. I'm still struggling with that. I don't know. Yeah, same. Like, same. That's all I can say. I, struggle <laughs> with I feel like I'm very, like, I don't really, like, I don't feel hopeful most of the time. I don't really feel, ho- especially not now. Like, I don't ever feel hopeful, but, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I, like, don't want things to be better. Right. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> it's just that you have years and centuries of fact and evidence, which present a reality that does not adhere to. <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> <sighs> All right. So they get back um, from the jump. And CJ is angry and frustrated. But Bash tries to calm her down by explaining that they have another chance. So they brainstorm, and CJ decides that the way to fix this is to stop the robbery. Okay. (laughs) Um, Bash smartly rebuts that that sounds fucking dangerous as shit, and that he doesn't want guns in their faces. What a what an astute observation. Yes. What an astute critique of this plan. Yeah. And at this point, now I'm angry at Bash because at this particular juncture, he should have gotten the fuck up out of the chair and destroyed every time travel device in that fucking garage. Because this is insane. (laughs) Yes. This is insane. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So CJ explains that they just need to call the cops before the robbery happens. That way. That was another part that I was like, this is factually inaccurate. Why are you expecting the cops to be like, this is your neighborhood. You know, the cops aren't coming. Yeah. Why, why the surprise later on when they don't, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So (laughs) she explains that they just need to call the cops before the robbery happens. That way there's no robbery, no wrongful identification. And then Calvin's still alive. Happy endings for everyone. Right. Okay, fine. Sure. Um, Sebastian agrees to this because um, he has temporarily lost his ever-loving mind and (laughs) explains that not only do they have to avoid their past selves from that timeline, but now they also have to avoid their past selves that first attempted to jump into that timeline. Uh, Okay, and this is where my head starts to hurt again. Um, (laughs) So because of this, they'll need something that can redirect a lot of the energy and splice time so that they can avoid... The, their first attempt selves. Um, they realize then that they have to hit up the homie Eduardo um, for energy conduits because he is also a big nerd too. Um, so they run up at his at his um, place um, and tell him that they need to borrow his quantum circuit boards because that's what the kids are doing in the streets right now. They're making quantum boards. Um, and initially he says, hell no. Rightfully so. But then CJ agrees to go on a date with him. Um, and he agrees to it. 
Uh, so uh, that scene was cute because he started. That was so cute. I loved his grandma being like, she's cute, but she seems crazy. <laughs> and to that, to which I had to say, you're not wrong. <laughs> so apparently the circuit boards are powerful enough to splice time, which, quote, create will be creating a virtual reset of their time jumps. Um, okay, sure, Jen, whatever. That sounds fine. We'll go with it. Um, <laughs> that was so okay. I was like, that was the part where I was just like, I don't... <laughs> I don't... I guess it's, like, too much in post to, like, create, like... <laughs> Like, it would be too much for them to have it written into the plot that, like, there's, like, eight of them running around at any point. I would have liked to have seen that. That'd be hilarious. I know. Me too. That would have been funny. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. Um, CJ returns home um, to see her mother watching the news about protests that have erupted over Calvin's murder. CJ says, this is not good for you, and turns the channel. This is not the vibrant woman we saw at the beginning of the movie who was um, smiling and braiding um, neighborhood friends' hair. She, this woman is broken and grieving. She lays down in CJ's lap and cries quietly. And this scene hit me a bit. I'm not going to lie. You know? Yeah. I think a lot about the families of, of, the, of the murdered and the dead. Um, and how they kind of have to live with the legacy and the burden of everything that's happening. And how they're forced also to, like, forgive or to take some sort of stance. And they're not even... The ones who are put on these, like, public platforms are not given space to, like, breathe and process and digest it. And it's infuriating, you know? And, like, don't get the opportunity to, like there's like no opportunity to heal because like the wounds always open. Mm-hmm. I guess the wounds always open. I don't know. I just like, like, I can't imagine how it feels to like, I feel like there are all these people that like care about this loss that you've experienced in this way. Like this, like the magnitude of this loss. And then to like, still have to, like, fight as hard as you fight just for, like, the most basic shit, like, getting people charged or, like, even having a case, like, opened or charged properly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's if you have faith in the criminal justice system, like, as a way to, like, find closure at all, period, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. I think that, like, yeah. Watching it now, it just, like, it, Yeah. It feels really hard, I think, especially in Portland. Yeah. Where it feels like a lot of people are just, like, waking up to this happening, which is just wild because, like, when I was reading about this movie, he's, like, obviously he was thinking about what happened in 2016. Mm-hmm. You're just, like, bro, it's been, like, a whole four years of this. Like, I mean, it's obviously been happening forever, but yeah, it's actually been happening, you know. This was, like, 2013, and then we were here again yep. four years ago, and here we are again now, you know? And we will most likely be here four years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just wild. It Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So CJ and Bash approach the alleyway as the garage door closes behind them. They jump back to July 4th again. Mm -hmm. CJ calls to report the robbery and they start running immediately. At the mini mart, one of the would-be robbers stares at Carlito, who is doing a crossword at the front. His accomplice enters the store. CJ and Bash stand just outside of the mini mart waiting for the cops who still haven't arrived, surprising no one, I guess, except for CJ. Yes. Who, who has is, lived in this neighborhood her whole life, but okay. Yeah, I'm just like, why are you brand new? Like, also, like, why are you calling the cops? And why would your whole entire plan hinge on the cops who are the one who necessitated this plan? Yeah, I was just like, are we clearly not, clearly not doing critical thinking here. Um, <laughs> as CJ tries to warn a skeptical Carlito past Sebastian enters the mini mart it takes her a few beats but she realizes it's not present Bash past Bash starts to put together that she's running TRTs but thinks it's without him she sloppily writes a note to Carlito that the stranger standing behind her is a robber he finally starts to believe her and like has like no poker face and grabs no. a gun from under the counter great <laughs> That's way to de-escalate. Okay. Yeah. And tells Carlito and Bash and CJ to give them everything they have. They try to take CJ's backpack and Bash and struggles and Bash and CJ struggle and fight back. Present Bash watches from the outside, hearing the noise. He hears a shot, watches his past self stumble backwards outside and fall. He tears up and walks towards the scene, confused. CJ apologizes at Bash splits up as Bash spits up blood and goes unconscious. Present Bash spits up blood and starts to flicker and then disappears. CJ's timer goes off and she has to flee the scene. Okay, so. All right. I think this is one of the... Because I didn't see this coming. The first time I saw this, I really didn't see this coming. I had no idea that Sebastian could be, like, a casualty in this whole thing for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and this part took me out a little bit. Like, yeah. watching this kid watch himself die. And, like, it made me think, like, what what kind of metaphor would that be for, be, you know? Like, having mm -hmm. to watch yourself die over and over again. And I guess... That's kind of what we're living in right now, in a way, right? Yeah. Um, like, knowing what's about to happen, but feeling powerless to stop it. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts at that scene? It was, like, it was really hard. It was, like, really hard, I think, knowing also that, like, this is the kind of death that, like, goes unprotested. Like, I feel like there are so many casualties of, like, white supremacy in our communities that just, like, you know, people, like, don't connect it to white supremacy or, like, essentialize it as, like, black-on-black -black crime or, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Ugh, I, like, hate even saying that, but, like... <laughs> But it absolutely is, like, a factor of white supremacy. Yeah, it is. Um, but, yeah, but nobody's, like, filling the streets over that. Um, and there's a lot of instances in which, like, deaths aren't, like, the, out, the outrage against Black death is, like, very limited. Yeah. Even amongst, even, like, within the Black community. 
Yeah. There's like a, there's a hierarchy of mourning. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I just like, I just like when I was watching that, like I was thinking about that too, you know? Yeah. I also like, I don't want to see CJ get hurt in this movie, but I also thought it was interesting how like, even even in spite like all this like interesting critique that's happening in the film there's still like the isolation that like it is black men who are like the most vulnerable in this community mm-hmm. when like, we all know that that's or completely false yeah we <laughs> all know that that's absolutely not the case even if we pretend that we don't is how i'll say that thing do we all know that do we i think that we do okay <laughs> i think we're just being assholes like, <laughs> that's valid as shit um like there's no denying it, honestly. You know, yeah. like the facts of the the facts are the facts. The numbers are the numbers. Right. So I don't know, but I feel like that's what I was. That's like what I was thinking about when I was watching that. And then like also, yeah, I don't know. It was just like hard for me. Yeah. Like, and like also it was like frustrating because obviously like, she walked in there without a plan, and I'm just like literally why like a full why here's what i'll say about this your plan is to write a note that says robbers that's a bad plan if you form a plan to stop one murder by stopping a robbery i feel like your plan needs to be very very detailed that's all I have to say about that. Literally, literally. And it's like, you see the cats who are about to rob the store already in the store. It's like, the turn fuck? around. What do you think you're going to do? You're in danger, girl. Like, turn around. You know that time travel doesn't stop bullets, right? You get that, right? Literally, time travel doesn't stop bullets. <laughs> yes. It's just like, you're so smart. You literally invented time travel. But, like, you can't make a plan where, like, writing, where, like, you don't at least have, like, a pre-written note that says robbers, if that was your plan. You only have ten minutes, bitch. Write it out beforehand. Write it before you leave. (laughs) Like, Like, these men are robbers. Do not make any sort of facial expression or acknowledge that you know this is what you need to do. Blah, 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 blah. I'm also, like... You run a bodega in East Flatbush like you've never been robbed before. I'm confused. But also, she didn't really even need to tell Carlito. If she had just stayed there, like, chilling in the threshold or some shit, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have been able to rob the fucking store. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Call me crazy. Yeah, I mean, like... Make a scene in front of the store, which causes a group of people to gather. Like, there are other ways. Yeah, yeah. Like, the fact that, I mean, I feel like you said it best. Like, the fact that she thinks the cops are the solution is... The the fact that she thinks the cops are going to de-escalate the situation is... Telling. A major flaw. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something we can blame on her being 16 as well? Or... um... (laughs) I feel like it's, like, I feel like she, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, like, she's 16, like, I'm not, like, mad at, like, I think that, hmm, what do I think? I don't know, I don't think, I think that, like, you know, she's obviously wrong, like, the cops are not gonna, like, 
help or like de-escalate a situation mm-hmm. but I feel like there is the sense that like that there is like there is a way for like the cops to do a good job or a better job than the job that they do especially like when you're in it you know and yeah. like you're being really heavily policed like or you're in a neighborhood that's very heavily policed like I feel like there's a way that it feels like impossible to imagine like what it would look like for no police to be there yeah because of all of this other systemic violence that's happening you know so like you know you want the cops to be better at their job and just help the people who need to be helped and not murder people indiscriminately yeah (sighs) um so I feel like the her thinking wasn't like surprising to me you know okay like I feel like I got it I just was like I was like that's not gonna help you know I guess maybe at 16, you're just not as cynical or jaded about the structures around you yet. Yeah. You know what? I wasn't either. I wasn't either. It took me, took me a good 30 years to understand just how fucked up things were. Yeah. So. And like, also like she, she is in her own kind of privilege, you know, like she's like getting, the fact that like she's in, like Bronx science is really hard to get into, mm-hmm. you know, like the fact that she's getting a better education than like most folks in her neighborhood. Like she even thinks it's a possibility to be able to like go to MIT mm-hmm. or like Spelman or Morehouse, like on a full ride, you know, like she's, I feel like she's in this upward trajectory where it makes sense to me that maybe she would like have that like particular delusion about the police. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. She's, she's a little bit, um, sheltered, insulated. Uh, This is where, this is where I turned the movie off and like took a break. Understandably. So it gets kind of, it gets very murky here. Um, so Um, CJ jumps back alone And her backpack self-destructs in the alley. We cut to another funeral, this time for Sebastian. We see him in the coffin. CJ's crying in the pew in the same dress she was wearing to her brother's funeral. Mm -hmm. Eduardo's crying in the pew as well. We see Calvin alive in black outside of the church after the funeral. He looks pensive. CJ comes home to see Bash's granddad crying to her mom. Gloria, um, Sebastian's grandmother, is in the hospital and has suffered a nervous breakdown. CJ leaves the house and is confronted by Calvin, who shows her the program from his funeral procession. He want he wants answers and says, ain't nothing but right around here since Sebastian got murdered. He was a better person than me and damn sure was a better friend than you. I've been feeling like this should have been me and then I find this shit, so you tell me, am I wrong? So she shows him the video of their TRTs. He says he doesn't think that she should do anything right now, which, valid. (laughs) Then asks her to break down exactly how she plans to fix things. Spoiler alert, she can't. She has no plan. (laughs) She runs down all the messes she has already made. CJ says, but Sebastian didn't deserve this. Calvin says, no, he didn't. None of us do. He didn't, and none of us do. Okay, let's let's stop there. Yes. Um, that was my favorite. Like, yes. I was like, thank you for writing this. Yes. Thank you, writers. Thank you. 
I've rewound this part like five times just to hear him yeah. say it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, none of us do. None of us do. None of us deserve this. None of us. And I am, I continue to be, over the past three weeks that all this shit has been going on, over the past eight years that all this shit has been going on, I have continued to be sad and frustrated and angry and in turmoil over the ways that the victims of these murders, whether it's through police brutality or intimate partners or strangers, is framed in such a way that someone has to be the perfect victim. And it continues to happen. And even we do this. Like, I see us do this. And I don't know why it keeps happening. And I don't know why we keep presenting these people in such a way. Like, and I think I talked about this with Max on who all gonna be there, like with the bird watcher guy and Mm -hmm. how everyone was upset because this was this very attractive, um, clean cut looking, um, uh, cis black man who was just there to watch birds and stuff. And he didn't deserve this. But like, as you said, the robbers wouldn't deserve this. Like, someone who had committed some crime um, wouldn't deserve to be murdered in cold blood like this. Mm-hmm. And even in this movie, the way Calvin sort of, and we'll get to this later, sacrifices himself for Sebastian, and the reasoning, to me, th- that his character presents is because Sebastian is better than him somehow, didn't mm-hmm. sit right with me. It made me very uncomfortable, and it made me very sad. Um, and seem to continue in the vein of this belief that others deserve, um, life (laughs) and existence Mm -hmm. more than others based Mm -hmm. on white, cis, hetero, patriarchal standards. Absolutely. Right? Because it's like, why is Sebastian more worthwhile? Mm -hmm. Because he's like bound for like of education and, like, a higher-paying job and he's good at science, like, you know? Like, I I mean, not to say that, like, Sebastian's life isn't wonderful, but it's, like, not about, like, you know, it's not about his relationship to his family. It's not about, like, how he loves his community. Like, and even so, I feel like, you know, yeah, there's no, there's nothing that you can do to deserve this. No. Like, yeah. And I really, yeah, I don't know. That line, like, hit me really hard, too. Yeah. No, he didn't. None of us do. He didn't, and none of us do. And I think there's, like, the inevitability in that, too, you know? There's, like, an inevitability in that. Like, someone's gonna die. People are gonna continue to die. Yeah. You know, people are continuing to die. Yeah. Um, I know, and this is, like, 
why we shouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> why don't we love ourselves, Melanie? I don't know. <laughs> why are we so hard on ourselves? <clears throat> yeah. So, <clears throat> Calvin agrees to let her jump back and ask what she needs. She then realizes that she, with Sebastian gone, she's going to need some help. So they cut to Eduardo, who I, who they have harassed at what I imagine is 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, he's, he looks all disheveled and adorable. Um, I also, can I also just say that I love that his grandma's black? Yes. Yes. Shout and out to I- our Afro-Latinx brethren. Um, yes who I feel get no love, definitely not in American cinema. No. But that's another not. conversation. <laughs> so, um, yes. Um, so she and Calvin scoop Eduardo up um, and they go to the garage. I'm not sure how they get into Sebastian's garage, but okay, whatever. Like, sure, okay. <laughs> just, just save him. Yeah, it's fine. It's like, go, you go clean up your mess now. <laughs> Um, she and Eduardo do some more cool holographic shit, um, which is where the other half of their budget went. My favorite scene is the scene on the whiteboard, where there's a whiteboard divided into four quadrants, and (laughs) apparently we need this visual description of Eduardo writing CJ's initials, (laughs) and then an arrow, and then CJ's initials. Plus an S for Sebastian. Yes. And then another arrow down into the other quadrant. I was like, so y'all did all of this post to like make these holograms and these cool ass little machines. <laughs> but like you think that that this demonstration is convincing at all. It's you should have just saved your pen <laughs> and just said it. It's actually more embarrassing when you read it out. <laughs> we're here. We're we're in it. Hey. We're in it to finish this movie. We want to see what happens. I feel that that very descriptive visual really solidified things for me. Okay. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I mean, it was fine. I was like, I really want more Eduardo. To be honest, yeah, we could have used more Eduardo. Eduardo was yeah. a cutie. He was a cutie. And I was like, why are you so mad at him? Like, he's cute. And honestly, I just, like, I I love, like, we love, we love to see, we love to see people expressing appreciation for brown-skinned girls. Yes. Yes. We love to see it. I, I mean, I will watch anything where uh, a black woman or black femme is being loved, like, aggressively i will watch that i will read that i will like consume all of it so yes i was very pro i was like yeah yeah i was just like why are you like he obviously he doesn't have to go as hard as he's going because he's being corny but i would say i will say that like there's i have i have a special place in my heart for being harassed in like particular kinds of ways. Oh, 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 I'm not even mad at it. I'm not even mad at it. (laughs) I don't even care. 
Well, but we also see what her previous taste in um, boyfriends was, and yeah, she clearly like, you don't have a problem with like light skin, so. <laughs> I was going to say misogynistic, but light skin works too. <laughs> like you dated Drake. <laughs> um, like, Jared's wearing a sweatband in like two out of four scenes that he's in. Yeah. Like, like what did they talk about? Have standards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. So, um, uh, CJ and Eduardo do some more sciencey shit, and Eduardo preps CJ for the jump in the alleyway. Calvin reviews the plan with her, and then gives her their father's dog tags from around his neck, as well as his funeral program. He hugs her and tells her to be safe, worry creasing his face. As he walks away to give her room to jump, he turns around and says... It's okay. I'll see you yesterday. Boom. There's a the title. <laughs> that was unnecessary. I was it was I felt like Keenan Ivory Waynes was going to pop up in a in a U.S. postal worker's outfit screaming message. But okay, it's fine. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> um, so, there's a jump. Um, but it's Sebastian only, who is confused. Then CJ jumps next to him. Um, he says, what took you so long? She smiles happily and hugs him very hard. He wants to know what's going on, but she doesn't have time to explain, and they start running. We see Calvin at the cookout, getting into it with Jared. We see CJ and Bash running through the neighborhood. Then we see Calvin and his friend walking home from the cookout. Calvin then states that something about today feels off. CJ and Bash run up on them. She shows Calvin the funeral program, and then the two robbers run by as CJ tries to explain. Calvin doesn't believe her. The police then pull up as they are arguing and demand IDs. Calvin stares one of them down before finally acquiescing, and Calvin tries to get them to explain what's going on and then mentions Carlitos getting robbed. The police then panic and pull their guns on, on all of them. They grab Calvin and throw him over the hood of the car. They grab Sebastian um, and throw him on the ground, throttling him. Um, Calvin, who is also on the ground and watching the scene, looks over and sees the funeral program flickering and changing from his face to Sebastian's. He then, he, you see that there's a moment of recognition on his face and he makes a decision um, and shout out to the actor who plays Calvin because, like, he does a really good job conveying all this in his facial expression. <laughs> I think he did an, a really amazing job. Um, yeah. He then gets up and pulls his phone from his pocket and is shot in the chest several times. Sebastian looks over um, with teary eyes and then CJ's alarm goes off, um, signaling that they have to go. We cut back to where Calvin is telling CJ he'll see her yesterday. She does her jump, and then he turns around and flickers and disappears. It's sad. What did you think of that scene? I was just really sad. Like, I feel like all the things that we talked about, like, 
just Calvin deciding that his life isn't worth the same. I mean, like, it's like, it's that. It's also like he knows that he died and that that's why this is happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a piece of it too, you Mm -hmm. know? But I think that it's absolutely like this, like, idea that one of our lives is more worthwhile than another person's. And like, yeah. Yeah. And just that, like, I don't know, it was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to watch Sebastian, like, because, like, the police officer has his knee on his neck. Mm-hmm. And I was, that was really hard for me. I was like, this is really hard. It definitely hits um, different now than it did when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So there is like that part and then like they show his they show his death like they show his body getting shot and like I was just like I don't need this like it's out of focus so I feel like it's like the same like there's the effort is there to like to not like sensationalize the death but like the violence is still there yeah and the violence would be there even if it was off screen like the violence was there when he got shot the first time but I was just like still like I was like I don't need this do you can you think of a reason why the the makers of the film would have felt that scene was necessary? I mean... Honestly, I don't think that it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't agree. Like, I think that, like, I think that the fact that this film is about that like anybody who knows what's up like knows what's happening so like you don't need to show it like off focus or not yeah you know and like I just like think about like what it is for like actors to like play that Mm. you know like what does it mean to like be a black actor and like have to like you know pretend to get shot by the police kind of like psychological air like labor and destruction in a way right yeah so back in the garage sebastian confronts cj about what happened he knows something is up because he's wearing different clothes and he's visibly upset she admits that she jumped back once without him and he demands to know why um she continues to deny it but after much prodding she explained that she did so because he died he freaks out, understandably so, and CJ is like, calm down, it's like it never happened. <laughs> Which just makes it even worse. <laughs> um, Bash says, officially says, he's out, he's not doing this anymore, um, he can't afford to lose anymore. Um, as they are walking out of the garage, CJ closes the garage behind Bash and barricades herself in, locking him out. Um, Sebastian finds the keys um, and walks out into the walks into the garage right before she jumps. She says, "I love you, Sebastian." Then jumps. She walks out of the garage into the daylight and sets the alarm on her watch. She then begins to run in slow motion, dog tags flapping in the wind with a determined look on her face. And then we cut to black as the movie ends. Like I mentioned before, the ending kind of messed with my head a little bit. Because, you yeah. know, 
I think that most of us are firmly indoctrinated by the narrative stuff, like American na narrative styles, where we expect some sort of clear-ish resolution at the end. But this, to me, I felt like this ending was a refusal in its own right. A refusal to give us a clear-cut ending, whether it's a good, a happy one or a not-so-happy one. And it left things very much up to the interpretation of the watcher. Mm -hmm. And I, th those are the endings that tend to stick with me more. So, what did you think about it? Yeah, I like the ending too. I mean, like, if you know me, you know. I love a... <laughs> I love it. I love alternate endings and I love like, you know, I, I love just like the, you know, like there's an element of hope and there's like, there's so many things that are like held up in it, you know, mm -hmm. like there's the possibility that she could like actually fix it for real. There's like kind of like the implication that she's always going to be running, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's just like a lot of things. And I think it's a really, it's a really smart way to end it. Mm -hmm. And it's a really honest way to end it too. Yeah. Because like the story isn't just like her story, right? Like it's like, like I think a lot of what's being implicated is like the, the like inevitability of like the violence is inevitable. Yeah. Um, because like, there's no, there's like nowhere back in time you could go to fix it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I really, I liked the ending, but it was like really hard. It was like really unforgiving. Like I was like, if this movie was made by white people, <laughs> I guess. That's although like my I favorite guess I don't, game. I don't, I, rewind. I don't feel like conjecturing on what that would look like. <laughs> I take it back. Who cares? <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> What do you feel the implications are of CJ making this very conscious, calculated decision to start this journey and to start these jumps without Sebastian by her side? I mean, like, I feel like for me, it's like, like she's having a, this is like a trauma response, mm -hmm. you know, like this, it's all about, it's like, she's low-key already struggled with things being, like, all about her. Mm -hmm. And now it's, like, 100%. Like, this is her shit. Yeah. And, like, he can no longer be on it with her because it's her shit. Although, yeah. I don't know. It just feels like it feels really hard because it's, like, the tunnel vision of it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to see, but it's not, like, I don't think it feels unrealistic to me. No. Not at all. It feels okay. like... With everything we've seen of CJ and her personality, it definitely feels true to her character. Mm -hmm. But it also points to this whole thing inevitably not ending very well for her. Yes. Yeah. And ultimately destroying herself. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that um, that was one of the things I was really curious to hear more from you about. Because I was, like, I was thinking about the trope of like the strong black woman or like the strong black girl or like the black girl is like the savior mm -hmm. of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's clear that that's like something that she's holding herself to, you know? Yeah. And that it's like a fatal flaw for her. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I, what also interests me in this movie is that CJ is afforded several points 
by several characters in this movie to give that up, to let other people help her carry that load. And she, like, rejects them at every turn. And I wonder if that is, like, this sort of, like, sly commentary um, on what black, black femmes take on or what they choose to take on. Or is it just kind of this sort of, like, wishful thinking? I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I was wondering about that, too. That's why I was, like, I was really interested. I was, like, happy to see that it was co-written. The film was co-written by a black woman. Yes. Because I think it is, like, it's important for, like, it's important for me, I think, as a, as a Black person, like, to realize, like, as, like, as, as somebody who was, like, raised as a woman, Mm -hmm. like, to think about, like, the ways in which I'm, like, socialized to take on more than I can, like, not just because, like, I'm not socialized to take, like, my own health and well-being into um into consideration but also like because like I'm socialized to like see myself as like only being useful in terms of my labor yeah yeah Uh, and that labor like in service of like all kinds of things that like directly exploit me um and exploit people around me Mm -hmm. so like I appreciate seeing characters where like that where that archetype is troubled yeah um and kind of exposed for like the kind of like psychological damage that it like wreaks on a person yeah um and then there's like another part of me that like wonders if there's um what am I thinking? Like, there's another part of me that is also like, well, from like a Spike Lee production perspective. <laughs> Whatever do you mean, Ariella? Right? Like, is there a piece of this that could have afforded her more grace? You know? Yeah. I would have liked to have seen it just one scene. I would have been happy with one scene where we got to see some softness, maybe? Or mm-hmm. some vulnerability. Um, and I don't I don't feel like we were really afforded that with CJ. Like, she was at all times either angry or in, like, um, repair mode or trying to stop something or trying to plan something um, and just was always on 10. And it would have been nice to see her have a moment where she's just reflecting. Yeah. I think that would have added a little bit more depth to the character of CJ. Yeah. Yeah, it, like, it, I kind of, I think it speaks volumes that, like, she has, like, these friends that she's had since childhood, and, like, she can't be vulnerable with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also, like, I mean, you know, I guess, like, it's, like, not I guess, but, like, we also, like, know that her dad just died, like... True, yeah. She lost her brother, like, there's clearly all this stuff going on. But I agree with you that I would have liked to see her be vulnerable. Um, And that's, like, and I think that the fact that we didn't see her be vulnerable is, like, what makes me question, like, you know, is this critique of 
um, the kinds of ways in which like black women are like constantly forced to like fight for everybody but themselves mm-hmm. like and like fight to the you know like fight to like the detriment of like basically everything else mm-hmm. like is that for her benefit hmm. like is that critique being leveled like in like as like a as like in in her in her best interest you know yeah or is she being used to like have to like make a to make a broader statement about black womanhood that doesn't necessarily like include her Hmm. i don't know know. it was just a question that i had i I feel like that's kind of like what that brought up to me because i wasn't mad at it i was like i was just like hmm you know because I think it can be read multiple ways. I think so, too. And that's one of the things I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the notes, you pose a question that I would like to address. <laughs> um, why can't we have nice things? Um, A.K.A. Can we have a sci-fi movie about smart black kids where someone doesn't have to die? Um, I'm going to say no. Apparently we can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean like it's like it's frustrating but it's also like I'm not it's like I think that there's like multiple ways there are multiple like part of me wants that and also part of me is like I don't I'm like do I even need that like what does I mean are we counting stranger things because in stranger well does it matter if the someone is black (laughs) Less. Okay, well then, Stranger Things... It matters things, less if they're not black. Okay. I guess to me. Black, I don't think black folks die in Stranger Things, but there are nerdy, smart black kids in it. That's accurate, but Stranger Things, I feel like, is so... Anyway. <laughs> Stranger Things is a great example of, like, how a black girl's character is mobilized mm. to... Um, show like in the infinite amount of strength and like a complete absence of like vulnerability or intimacy did you um, not like your little sister i'm like leave that little girl alone yeah yeah that's fair she's adorable though oh yeah i'm like she's funny as hell i'm like please continue to hire her she's amazing she's an amazing actress also (laughs) can she be a kid yeah, I'm like, please don't write children's characters like this. Yeah, maybe don't give the little black girl a whole manifesto on capitalist dogma. How about that? How about that? <laughs> like, <laughs> but whatever. It's fine, I'm just going to take a sip of my drink. Um, <laughs> Bygones. It's all good. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I like escapism as much as the next dude. Same. But like, But I'm also just like, I'm just like, it's not even, I'm just like, we can't even escape, you know? There's no, like, escape to what? Like, escape to what, really? So, I wasn't actually, like, mad at the movie, like, having police brutality be such a central plot point, mm-hmm. or be so central to the to the plot, because, honestly, it's like, no, we can't have nice things we don't have nice things. And like a lot of times when people are trying to have nice things, it's at the expense of other black people anyway. Ooh, that's a word. So I'm just like, 
no, I guess not, but I'm, that doesn't make it any less exhausting. True, true. I don't know. <sighs> I wasn't mad at it, but I also, like, I also, like, really feel, like, bummed, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think we can have nice things. It just requires a lot of heavy lifting um, in regards to our imaginations. Um, and I don't think that that is capable, uh, or that is possible on the current platforms that exist. Yes. These things. I agree with you. So. Yeah, like, Wrinkle in Time did not do it for me, just to put it on the record. I did not watch that because I want to continue to stand Ava DuVernay. Um, I watched it on an airplane. (laughs) I still haven't seen When They See Us because I refuse. Um, when They See Us, I fucked with. Oh, really? Like, it was, I mean, it was, like, brutal. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. Don't do that. Especially not now. I'm like, don't watch that right now. But, like, I mean, white people obviously should watch it. Not that I care what white people do. But I don't know. When They See Us, when they see, okay. When They See Us, I, I appreciated that. And, like... I really liked that it brought new energy to that case just because I remember that case when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Yeah. And it's fucked. And yeah, I like appreciate that that work was done. And also that it was like able to like uphold the work that um, folks are still doing in community, you know? Yeah. Like one of the one of the people who was in that case, like now runs a like runs community grassroots programs in Harlem. Like, I, yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah. I love I love to see it. Me too. But like, I love to see that work getting elevated and talked about too. You know. Yeah. And I I love Ava because she's clearly someone who cares about Black people and loves Black people like mm-hmm. unapologetically, and that transfers in her work. Um, but. Yeah, I'm going to need a few, maybe a decade of space before I can get into that movie. Oh, for real. Yeah, no, I only brought up Wrinkle in Time because I think that, like, that's, like, that, you know, Wrinkle in Time is, like, a book that I read when I was a child. Yeah. And, like, I feel like, like, scratch that itch of, like, escapism for me. Oh, okay. And I think that that's, like, because it is that kind of escapism where, like, Madeline Lengel, like, writes Black characters. Like, some of the characters are Black, Mm -hmm. but, like, she's not a Black person, so she, like, doesn't know how to write. So Blackness actually, like, doesn't exist in the same way in the fantasy. Oh, okay. Um, For me, at least, you know? Like, granted, I'll say, like, the last time I read that book was maybe two decades ago. So maybe my read is, like, a little bit stale. But, like... But I think that, you know, like, in the film, like, Blackness is injected in this way, mm-hmm. where, like, the overarching narrative, like, doesn't really have, like, that kind of, like, social, there's, there, like, social Blackness doesn't exist. Like, it's only visible Blackness that exists. Okay, so I have a question, a follow-up question to that. Do you think that this is um, a conscious aesthetic decision that Ava made or do you think that this is the material that she was given and she just sort of acquiesced I think like she did her best you know like I think it's like it's supposed to be like for the kids yeah like so I can see it like you know like it's like it's very to me it feels like just like it's a very like representation politics kind of thing Mm -hmm. okay yeah 
Um, and like, I feel like that's like where a lot of like desire for escapism, like also comes from. It's like, we want to see ourselves in like the nice things too, you know, but it's like, yeah, sure. We can have that, but does that make the facts any less the facts? Like, does that make the social realities any less of what they are? Like it doesn't actually. Yeah. Grafting ourselves onto a fucked up structure does not change the structure yeah exactly like it's like yeah yeah absolutely yeah and that's like I feel like why I was like thinking about hidden figures too you know like it's like yeah sure it's like these women are fucking dope like I'm I'm happy that they like invented coding and that like we have this history also like that coding was like also like this movie was set during like what like the cold war like I'm good actually like that movie, like, admittedly, I actually enjoyed it when it came out, but watching it years, yeah, years later, it, it hits differently. <laughs> yeah, I think it can hit both ways. I feel like I was watching it, and I was like, but they're in the government. Like, they're, like, making weapons. Like, what the fuck? Like, I'm just like, so you're just like, I, they're colonizing space. Like, this is just yeah. a lot. And but then, also, and then yeah. also like mining this woman's racial trauma as comedy to Pharrell uh, on the soundtrack doesn't oh, yeah. quite play the same in 2020 as it did when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. now it just makes me angry. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. but, um, so we are. 10 minutes past two hours, so <laughs> I guess we should rate the movie now. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with our rating system, um, we have a very stringent five-point rating system. Um, if it is, you know, a terrible-ass movie, it gets a one, which is bone-out frozen grocery store party wings. Y'all know the ones. If it's adequate, if it does what it's supposed to do, I guess, um, it gets a two, which is Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, if it's serviceable and pleasant, um, it gets a three, which is which are the Wingstop Garlic Parmesan Wings. Um, if it's really, really good, um, it gets a four, which are the Southern Lemon Pepper Wings. And if it is the movie to end all movies, um, and it makes us reevaluate our entire purpose in life, it gets a five, which are the real jerk chicken wings from the Jamaican spot around the corner. So, Ariella, what would you give See You Yesterday? I would say, I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna twist it up. Okay. And it's gonna I would say they are real jerk chicken wings, Ooh. but they have been in my fridge for several days. <laughs> so, what's that? A four point five. Still, still delicious, still delicious, but not quite, you know, not quite hot off the grill. Okay, you know? that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, because I certainly loved it. I certainly loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. If, I don't know if it was like all all that. But yeah. Okay. And also, I feel like for the Caribbeanness, I'm just like you can't give this movie not a Caribbean. <laughs> well. Oh. Oh. I am going to give it the Southern Lemon Pepper Wings. Okay. It was a really, really good movie. I enjoyed it. 
I feel like there are places where they could have further developed some of the themes. But it definitely, like, it has all the things I love. It has time travel. It has black folks. Um, it has Caribbean people. It has nods to other time travel things. <laughs> like, it has all that science timey-wimey shit that makes no sense. And the world building and the rules that, that are arbitrary. But sure, they make sense here. I loved it. So, <laughs> yes. Southern lemon pepper wings, which are certainly nothing to sneer at. So That's true. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right. So I guess that's it for uh, our second episode of Who All In It? Thank you for listening. Um, again, feel free to email us at natturnerproject0 at gmail um, to comment on this movie or other movies that you have seen and you think we should review. And at that, we will say goodbye. Bye, y'all. Bye.